Welcome to you. If uh, you are a guest with us today, you're catching us in the midst of a sermon series called The Essentials. And uh, it's, a, it's a series that's been focusing on the big categories of the Christian faith that really kind of, kind of make the foundation stones of what the larger church of Jesus around the world uh, believes, really kind of across denominations. There are small differences here and there, but most, all Christians everywhere believe these fundamental things. I mean, it's kind of what makes Christianity, Christianity. And uh, it's kind of based on that, that quote of a while ago, I'm, I'm not even sure who said it, I think I knew it at one time, but this, this quote that says, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. A good motto to live by, right, for Christians. And I, I remember hearing that as a new believer and thinking, that's nice, but what are the essentials? You know, what, what, are the, what, are the, what are the mandatory main things? So this is a series that's trying to bark up that tree. What, what are the essentials? So far in the series, we've uh, covered what Christians believe about Scripture, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and humanity. And this week, we think about what Christians believe about salvation, and the ongoing caveat, there's no way you can shoehorn all this into a 20-minute sermon. We're painting with really big brush, it's 40,000-foot view, all that kind of thing. But this is what Christians believe about salvation. So to look at that, let's uh, look first at Ephesians chapter 2. We'll, we'll read three different passages of Scripture today. Ephesians 2, starting at verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And then 1 Corinthians, uh, just one verse, verse 18, chapter 1. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And then finally, uh, from Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Friends, indeed, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I don't, I don't know if you caught it in those three passages we read. They were chosen with uh, intention because when the New Testament speaks of salvation, it uses three verb tenses, past, present, and future. I don't know if you've ever noticed that about the Bible, but the Bible can say, we have been saved, 
the Bible can say we are being saved and the Bible can say we will be saved, past, present, and future. And I think getting a grasp on those tenses is a good way to get a grasp on what the Bible uh, says when it speaks of salvation, what it means to be saved by Jesus from one kind of life to another kind of life. So, a number of years ago, after thinking on this, I built a little chart that tries to put these tenses and some other theological stuff all together in a little visual summary. So that's what you have in your handout today on the front page. And the message will largely be built around that chart. So if you care to, you can follow along and fill stuff in. Some, some places you'll have to write small. I acknowledge that. I'm sorry about that. Uh, I can send it to you in a bigger version if you'd like. So let's start with the past tense. You kind of read the chart horizontally, right? Verb tenses at the top. Take the past tense first. We read it in Ephesians. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Past tense. Now the apostle Paul was writing this to the church, not to kind of the community at large. Paul was writing to people who kind of had heard what Jesus had said, had crossed a line of faith. This, this was the group that could uh, confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their hearts that God had raised him from the dead. That This was the church. So they had crossed a line of faith. They're followers of Jesus. And, and of those people, it can say, you be said, you have been saved. Past tense. And the, the example text there is Ephesians chapter two. We, we read about that. And the theological concept involved, so can you read it? You good? Okay. Uh, The theological concept involved is justification. Now, I remember when I was a brand new Christian and and starting, I had read the Bible and loved Jesus and people started talking theology and my first reaction was, I kind of don't need that. And it's just, whatever, I just want to love Jesus. And uh, somebody was trying to explain to me what justification uh, meant. And they said, well, think of it this way. It's, just as if your sin never happened. That's what justification means. And so I kind of I grabbed onto that and said, okay, I know, I know something theological. Just, justification is just as if your sin never happened. Turns out, that's a pretty terrible definition. <laughs> because it's just half of it. It's just half of it. To, to be justified un, un, biblically, theologically, is to be declared righteous by God with respect to his law and to be accepted and treated by God as such. It's, it's a declaration by the person in, in highest authority, a legal declaration. Like, you're, you're good. You're reconciled. And it's, it's the opinion of the one person who matters. It's being declared righteous. But it's more than that. There are two sides to this. It means that our sin has been forgiven because it was charged to Jesus. That's the whole just as if it never happened part. But wait, there's more. And and this is where Christians sometimes get derailed and where our understanding of what the Bible means by salvation goes off the tracks, right? It's not just that Jesus has forgiven all of the stuff we did in the past. It's that he's poured into us the perfect righteousness of Christ. That's the second part of justification. It means that the perfect righteousness of Christ has been credited to us. So it's not just that the negative balance in our spiritual bank account was brought up to zero again. 
It's that the perfect righteousness of Christ was poured into it. You know, enough to abound for all of life. We've been justified. Uh, And there's all sorts of different ways to talk about this, and I've tried them all, so if you've been around, you've probably heard these. I like the personnel file kind of one. You know, justification means that Jesus sneaks into your personnel file and takes takes out all the negative performance reviews, shreds them. But it means more than that. While he's messing with the file, he drops into your file all of his perfect performance reviews. Remember all the fruit of the Spirit? You know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. In your, in, in your personnel file is the perfectly validating performance record of Jesus based on all of those things. Love exceeds expectation. Patience exceeds expectation. Joy, goodness, faithfulness, self-control exceeds expectation. And that's justification. We're declared to be that, even though you and I both know that we are not that. God has declared us to be that. that that's the past tense of salvation. That's, that's what it means to be saved. And in justification, we're saved from the penalty of sin. That's why Jesus, uh, some of his final words, he could say, it is finished. It's done. He literally, he, those words in the original language literally meant the debt has been paid in full. It was a business word stamped on bills when somebody paid it off. It's, it's done. How to live in light of that? It's Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Because we are so thoroughly convinced of the goodness of God in reaching out to us while we were most offensive to him and saving us out of that, rescuing us out of that, declaring us to be righteous and crediting to us the perfectly validating performance record of Jesus, there can be no question of God's goodness in our mind. So we simply trust and say, whatever you say, I'll do. Wherever you go, Lord, I'll go. I'm completely yours. The identity implication. What does this mean for me and how I think about me? What it means is this. I am reconciled with God through Jesus and am an adopted child of God. Amazing. I'm a new, I'm a new citizen. I have a new citizenship. The Bible uses that kind of language. I mean, uh, uh, Jordan mentioned it earlier. We've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of of light, the kingdom of the the son whom God loves. It's it's incredible. That's who we are. There's also a link to communion. You know, when we celebrate communion every time, we say, uh, beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Supper, which we are about to celebrate is a feast of remembrance, of communion, and of hope. Catch it? Past, present, future. Every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, the intent is to remember and celebrate the fullness of God's salvation. And the link to communion here is remembrance. We remember that something has been accomplished and is done, finished, never to be undone. So that's, that's the past tense of salvation. Now the present tense. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, are being saved, It is the power of God. 
Now you could think, if you're not understanding the three tenses of salvation, you could think, wait a second, I thought this was a done deal. If we've already been saved, then what's all this talk about we are being saved right now? Isn't it already done? And then you kind of continue reading the New Testament, you come across this in Philippians. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Well, wait a second. We just read this thing about it not being about works. So how am I supposed to work out my salvation if it's not about works and it's just about trusting? Get it? The tenses of salvation. This helps us incredibly. Regarding justification or being reconciled with God, you can't do anything. All you can do is trust. That's all we need to do, and it is all we can do in that because that has to be completely accomplished for us by God. There's nothing we contribute. God declares us righteous even though we aren't. Now, the present tense of salvation is about growing into our real selves, about actually living into the person God has declared us to be in justification. So you've, you've seen people make this mistake, I'm sure. You've seen, seen people say, no, hey, I'm saved. I got saved back in, whatever, 1972, and my ticket to heaven is punched, and I know where I'm going. Seemingly the implication being, so whatever I do in this life doesn't matter. Like, I'm good. I was saved. I'm going to heaven. Well, no. Like, you're missing out on a full third of, of salvation. Right? Uh, sanctification, the process of growing more Christ-like, where we are uh, day by day increasingly more and more saved from the power of sin in our life. Because you know it, I know it. This is the struggle. This is the front line of the battle. It's right in here. You're fighting it all the time. The power of sin and the process of salvation, we are being saved right now in the sense that we are being saved from the power of sin. Now, that doesn't happen by us trying harder. It happens by abiding in Christ. That's what we do to day by day combat sin in our life. That's why Jesus said this, remain in me as I also remain in you. Now remember how Jesus remains in us. Remember what he said about sending the Holy Spirit? He said, it's to your advantage that I'm going away because then I will send you another advocate. Remember the original language for another. It means an exact copy of, I will send you an exact copy of me to live with you and to live in you. So followers of Jesus have an exact copy of Jesus living with them and in them. That is how Jesus remains in us. And he calls us to remain in him in similar fashion. So this is the 24-7-365 seeking, pursuing the Lord. Uh, actively leaning in, right? This is how we, we, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That's what that means, just to abide in Christ. The identity implication, I'm being transformed into the likeness of Christ because God loves me. Not because God is disappointed in me and wants to be, me to be something completely different than I am. It's, it's just that God loves us too much to allow us to remain as we are. It's all love. It's all grace. Right. Finally, the link to communion is communion. <laughs> we commune with Jesus. We remain in him as we celebrate the Lord's Supper and, and we celebrate his, his presence in a special way. 
when we have communion. So past tense, present tense, I'm checking in. This is a little teachy today. Are you tracking with me? Give me a head nod. Okay, past tense, present tense, future tense. Here it is in Romans. Since we have now been justified by his blood, that's the past tense reference, justified, E-D, past tense, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, and we're going to stop right there. Think about that. If while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled. The past tense of salvation happened while we were still sinners. We didn't clean ourselves up. We didn't bring ourselves clean. To we didn't add anything to it. While we were at the height of our offensiveness to God, that's exactly when God came to us. While we were still sinners, God came to us. If that's true, how much more, having been reconciled, past tense of salvation, shall we be saved through his life? So if we have been saved, if we've experienced this reconciliation with God, the, the promise is that if, you, if you've experienced that and, and you're kind of moving this direction now and, and, and you've tasted a little bit of what it means to be united with Christ and, and experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit in, in your life, how much more will, will we be fully saved in the future? So the theological concept is glorification and, and in that, we are saved from the presence of sin. And I, I heard a beautiful illustration of this just this week at our elders meeting. One of our elders shared the story of a friend of his who I believe is an elder in, in his church north of here somewhere. And that other elder was visiting a 92-year-old man in their congregation who was on his deathbed. And in that church, this man was considered a real kind of salt of the earth uh, you know, all, seemingly always was patient and kind, ne- never spoke an ill word. One of, the, one of those kind of folks, right? And uh, that man's comment to the elder who visited him was this. I can't wait to be done with fighting sin. Can't wait to be done with fighting sin. There is a strange irony in the Christian life. There is a grace of increasing tension. I know I've experienced it. Maybe you have. As you, as you move forward in years following Jesus, you become increasingly aware of two competing realities. One, the utter goodness of God in salvation and two, the, the completeness of your own corruption. And they just, even as devoted as a person might be, you just become more, and these things seem to be moving like this. It, and you're longing for that to be done. Longing to be done with that, that struggle and, and, and that battle. This is a normal path of spiritual growth for a Christian, I believe. And, and it leads you to where this 90-year-old man was. I'm so weary of the struggle. This, by the way, is what is meant in a Christian funeral service, mostly at a committal graveside service, when we say, may he rest in peace. 
may she rest in peace. That's often misinterpreted as may, may your remains you know, rest in peace in this park-like cemetery. That's not what it means at all. It means may you rest in peace from the struggle with sin. May you rest eternally with Christ away from the presence of sin forever and ever and ever is the promise. Wow. Like, let's not miss this aspect of salvation because the Bible presents a whole salvation for a whole life, right? The the rest of the future tense, we're rescued from the presence of sin, the promise of Jesus. I will come back and take you to be with me where I am. How to live? Matthew 24, 42, therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Wait with eager anticipation for that, for that day. Pray, pray your way into it. Identity implication, I know whose I am. I know where I'm going. I'm marked by the Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing my inheritance to come, which is being saved forever from the presence of sin. Incredible. And then the link to communion. We say we come in remembrance, communion, and hope, right? Believing that this bread and this cup are a pledge and foretaste of the great feast of love of which we shall partake when his kingdom has fully come. (laughs) Presence of sin is gone. So tenses of salvation. I hope that's helpful. It's really helpful. It has been really helpful to me. And all of this by God's grace alone. We got this in Ephesians, right? For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It is all grace, right? This salvation is unearned and undeserved. Unearned, meaning it's not based on our work. Even the sanctification part, even the the present tense of salvation, it's not based on our work. It's all what the Holy Spirit is doing in us. As we remain in Christ, that work is advanced by the goodness of God to us. Not long ago, I watched a a talk by Tim Keller where he made the great point that if we're saved by works, which is the summary version of most religion in the world, if we're saved by works, we're having one of two experiences. Either we're feeling very confident because we feel like we're living up to our performance standards or we feel humbled and maybe ashamed because we're failing. And it's this teeter-totter. You're one or the other. But he said the gospel is completely different. Understanding God's grace is completely different because you know that you're a sinner and you know that you are completely loved by Jesus, perfectly loved by Jesus. So, uh, to quote him, uh, the gospel, uh, how did he say this? The gospel humbles you into the dust and raises you to the skies. So the Christian experiences both at the same time, confidence and humility. And it brings this, this uh, unearthly kind of spiritual maturity to play that is both gracious and truthful. It's from God. You know, the grace of salvation is unearned. It's all grace. The grace of salvation is undeserved. We, we all have um, maybe had uh, devotional moments where something really hits you and it kind of sticks in there, you know. One for me was when I was reading Oswald Chambers' classic devotional book, 
my utmost for his highest. I need to go back and figure out which day this is again. But it, it was a, a, a devotion about the difference between the words unworthy and undeserving. And he was reflecting on how he heard many Christians saying they were unworthy of their salvation. And in my words now, he said, don't, don't you dare, don't you dare say you're unworthy of salvation. That's presumptuous because it's not yours to decide. It's God's decision. And the gospel says, unbelievably, that God counted you and me worthy of salvation. (laughs) Worthy, meaning worth it. Worth all of it. Worth the sacrifice of his only son. Worth all the suffering and pain of the cross. Worth the long suffering patience with all of us exasperatingly persistent spiritual rebels. Worth it. Undeserving? Yes. Unworthy? No. That's not yours to decide. God decided and he thought you were worth it. We have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Pray with me. Lord, we acknowledge uh, to you now that it is, it is this salvation around which we gather today. There, there would be no church in this place. There'd be no church building in this place. None of us in this room would probably even know one another. But for the reality that you did something. You sent your son Jesus who lived a real life and died a real death and really rose from the dead. And ever since this, your church has been growing based on this great salvation you are offering human beings everywhere. So God, we bless you for that. Clarify our vision of your goodness. Increase our ability to trust you. Help us with whatever barrier we're facing, wherever we are along this this journey. Maybe we're considering faith in you. Maybe we've been walking for years and are are much more concerned about the, the presence of sin and being freed of that. Wherever there's fear, God, fill us with your perfect love, which casts out all fear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.